listeners, and welcome to another episode of Yas Queens, a history podcast. I'm your host, Emily, and today we'll be talking about Eleanor of Castile, wife of Edward I of England. In our last episode, I gave some background on the powerful women in Eleanor's family tree. We'll continue talking about them today, as well as Eleanor's early years and early days of marriage. This is going to be a two-parter, first on Eleanor's days as the wife of the heir apparent, and then her time as queen. In the previous episodes, I'd referred to Eleanor as E.C. to differentiate her from her mother-in-law, Eleanor of Provence. Now that Eleanor of Castile is our main character, we're going to demote Eleanor of Provence to being E.P., and our main Eleanor will just be Eleanor. While there are letters, first-hand accounts, and more that survive from the days of E.P., Eleanor was much more elusive in history. Her story is told through the lens of what the men in her life were up to at the time, unfortunately. Thankfully, she was a queen who had a very happy marriage and husband who wanted her around him all the time, so historians can track her movements and whereabouts based on where Edward was at the time. Even at times when it would have made more sense for Edward to leave Eleanor at home, uh, like during times of war, he still brought her along with him. There are times when Eleanor passed up the opportunity to see her own family in order to stay with Edward, which says a lot. She chose the man she was constantly around over her family that she may not have seen for years. The fact that she still prioritized him in that situation shows that she did truly love him and want to be around him all the time. Let's start off by working our way through Eleanor's family tree as a refresher. Both Eleanor and Edward were descendants of Eleanor of Aquitaine, because this is medieval Europe and if you're not somehow related to your spouse, it's a miracle. Eleanor of Aquitaine's son, John, was the father of Edward's father, Henry III, while Eleanor's daughter, also Eleanor, was the mother of Baron Quela, whose son, Ferdinand III, was the father of Eleanor of Castile. Unless I'm miscounting, that makes them second cousins once removed, since we have one more generation on Eleanor's side than Edward's. Eleanor's great-grandmother, Eleanor of England, married Alfonso VIII of Castile. As you might remember from the previous episode, Eleanor and Alfonso had a very happy marriage. They struggled with fertility at first, and then had no problem popping out babies. Their eldest was Eleanor of Castile's grandmother, Berenguela, or Berengaria, for a time, it looked like Berenguela might be their only child, so she was raised to be the heir. She'd end up being replaced as heir once her parents started popping out more babies, but that education and training to be a future ruler would come in handy. Berenguela married Alfonso IX of Lyon, who then dumped her and sent her and her children back to Castile, which was surprising since the father normally kept his children. Berenguela's parents, Eleanor and Alfonso, would die would both die within a matter of weeks of each other, first Alfonso and then a broken-hearted Eleanor. Berenguela had initially been replaced as heir by her brother Ferdinand, but when he died in 1211 on campaign, the new heir was their little brother, Henry I. Their parents died in 1214, leaving 10-year-old Henry I as the new king. Berenguela was 34 or 35 at the time, so she was a grown-ass woman, and she was made the regent to her little brother. See, that leadership training is coming in handy. She may not have become the queen after her parents' death, immediately at least, but she was appointed regent to her child brother, who was not prepared for this. Another death of note took place in 1214, when the oldest son of Baron Guela's ex-husband Alfonso, also named Ferdinand, died. This Ferdinand had been the son of Alfonso's first wife, not Baron Guela's son, 
but she had her own son with Alfonso, also named Ferdinand, who then became Alfonso's heir. So, you know, one Ferdinand replaces the other. This Ferdinand is going to become Ferdinand III, Eleanor's father. So we've got child King Henry I, Eleanor's uncle. Baron Guilla served as his regent for three years before Henry suddenly dies in Palencia in 1217 after being killed by a tile that fell off a roof and beamed him in the head. At first, Henry's guardian tried to keep this news from Baranguela, but she quickly found out. She also wanted to keep the news of Henry's death from her ex, Alfonso, because he also had a claim to the throne of Castile. She kept her brother's death a secret, and since her son and the new heir, Ferdinand, was with his father, she asked Alfonso to send Ferdinand for a visit. In the meantime, Berenguela herself was Henry's heir. She didn't think Castile would like having a solo queen, though, even though she had already proved to be a successful regent to her brother and would continue to be heavily involved in politics for the rest of her life. She abdicated once Ferdinand was at her side and named him the King of Castile. So, great job scheming there, Berenguela. Alfonso might have, you know, tried to steal the throne of Castile, but you just subtly were like, hey, can you send our son over? I, I uh, would like to have him for the weekend. And then, boom, he's the king. Um, Ferdinand is also still the heir to Leon, don't forget, because he is the heir to Castile on his mother's side and to Leon on his father's side. So now he is king of Castile while also being heir to Leon. Now, we spent seven episodes talking about the four sisters of Provence, all of whom were queens, but I need to give a shout out to the three sisters of Castile. Berenguela had a few rather noteworthy sisters of her own. Her next closest in age sister to survive to adulthood, because there were a lot of siblings that did not make it to adulthood, um, was Araka, who would become the queen of Portugal. Araka would be the mother of two kings of Portugal, as well as a queen of Denmark. Their next sister, a little someone we might know named Blanche, a.k.a. the White Queen, a.k.a. Queen of France, mother of Louis VIII, mother-in-law of Marguerite of Provence, and the mastermind behind her son's rule for years, because he was also a child king. In other words, everyone is connected, and there's a whole lot of powerful women in Eleanor's family tree. Berenguela advises her son, 33, to marry Beatriz, a.k.a. Elizabeth of Hohenstaufen, who was a granddaughter of both the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II and also of the Byzantine Emperor. In other words, Beatrice was probably the most eligible bachelorette in Europe. That is quite the family tree, both the Holy Roman Empire and the Byzantine Empire. I'm not sure if it was a happy marriage or not, but it was at least successful. Ferdi and Beatrice had 10 children together, and in 1230, after 11 years of marriage, his father Alfonso died, making him King of Lyon in addition to Castile. Beatrice dies in 1235 at the age of 30, probably related to having had 10 children in 14 years. Now, Beatrice is not Eleanor's mother. This is her father's first wife. After Beatrice's death, Berenguela and her sister Blanche start talking about potential future matches for Ferdi. Because even though he had 10 children with Beatrice, you can always have more. You might as well have a wife. You need a woman around. This was around the time that Henry III was eyeing Jean of Ponthieu for himself, a match that Blanche was not in favor of. 
Jean might not have been at the same level as Beatrice has been, since she was just the sole heiress to a small part of northwestern France, not descended from multiple emperors, but Ponthieu was still land of value to France and England. Jean also still had a decent pedigree, if not as imperial as Beatrice's. Her mother, Marie, was the daughter of Alice of France, another child of Eleanor of Aquitaine. So, whoever Henry III married, they would be related to each other. Berenguela and Blanche agreed that this match would be advantageous to them both. In 1237, 17-year-old Jean was betrothed and then married to Ferdy, who was in his mid to late 30s. The couple would have four sons and one daughter. Two of their sons died young. The eldest is going to be the one of most note, Ferdinand, and then our Eleanor was their only daughter and secondborn. Eleanor was named after her great-grandmother, Eleanor of England. She was likely around five when her grandmother, Berenguela, died, and it's unknown how much time they spent together, but Berenguela's legacy would be long-lasting. The Castilian royal family held her in high honor. They would not have been where they were without her and her regency. And she would have served as a role model to Eleanor as everything a Castilian princess should be. The world that Eleanor grew up in was one at war, but also one of luxury. Her mother would accompany her father on campaign, as his first wife had done, and Baron Guela had as well with her husband and then son. The men in Eleanor's family were warriors, which she would then expect her own husband to be as well. Her childhood was spent on campaign, or dealing with the results of these campaigns. Seville was praised by writers at the time for its luxury. It was overflowing with fine foods, lovely women, talented musicians, and poets. Eleanor didn't grow up with sisters. She was her mother's only daughter, and only one daughter from Ferdy's first marriage survived into adulthood. Another Berengaria who became a nun and was 13 years older than Eleanor, so, you know, they probably did not spend much time together. She did have cousins around, though, and the royal families of Castile and Aragon frequently were in contact. When Eleanor was around 10 or 11, Ferdy would contract dropsy and die. He was well-respected and liked as a king, and the country mourned him. His death meant that Eleanor's eldest brother from her father's first marriage, Alfonso, was now the king. The new Alfonso was the, the new Alfonso X was around 30, so he was a fully grown man ready to take the throne. Two years before, he had married Yolande of Aragon, who was also known as Violante, like Violet. I'm thinking she's a Dangerosa light. The name supposedly fits. And I think she'll come up more in our second episode, but at the very least, I wanted to mention her because of her name. Let's be real. Alfonso prioritized education. Eleanor was highly educated, especially for a girl at that time. Alfonso wrote out the Sieta Partidas, which outlined the education that should be given to a prince and to a princess. He felt that a princess should have the same tutors as a prince, meaning that they would likely be just as educated. Shout out to Alfonso! Eleanor enjoyed playing chess and was very studious. She was without a doubt better educated and smarter than Edward would be. Scholars believe that Edward could not write. He could read and had some knowledge of Latin, as well as being fluent in Anglo-Norman French and English, but this could not compare to Eleanor. When the time came to marry off Eleanor, the planning was all Alfonso. Eleanor's mother, Jean, was not involved. Alfonso did not consult his stepmother, and Jean didn't even attend the wedding. Choosing to leave Castile the summer before, 
even though the arrangements had been made at that point. So she had to have known her daughter was getting married. It wasn't like it was a surprise or kept secret from her or anything. Alfonso had also been eyeing the 14-year-old King Theobald II of Navarre for Eleanor, but his mother, Queen Marguerite of Navarre, was not interested since she was worried that Castile would annex Navarre if the two married. Alfonso had already become, well, Ferdinand. Ferdinand had already become King of Castile and Leon, and so she, you know, had valid reasons to worry it would become the Kingdom of Castile, Leon, and Navarre. Eleanor and Edward's wedding was rather unusual when it comes to who was in attendance. Her father was dead, and her mother was not even in Castile, and his parents had not accompanied him. Henry III and E.P. would not even see their son and new daughter-in-law for over a year after the wedding. This gave the couple a bit of an extended honeymoon period. They had time to adjust to being married and get to know each other without his parents around. By the time Edward and Eleanor returned to England, Edward was hopelessly in love and incredibly devoted to his young wife. Eleanor first arrived in London on October 17, 1255. London was probably a bit of a disappointment to her. It certainly couldn't compete with the Spanish palaces she had grown up in. Also, if you hear any background noise, of course my dog needs to chew on something right now. I took some of his shoes and he found another one, so I've given up. Alright, so London is a dump compared to Spanish palaces as far as Eleanor is concerned. Uh, While Edward had had a more stable and peaceful childhood compared to Eleanor, she still knew more luxury than he did. For one thing, running water was a given in Spanish palaces. It wasn't just functional and utilitarian, it was used for decorating gardens for fun. In England, running water was more or less unheard of in royal palaces. Palaces were cold, although Henry III tried to make his new daughter-in-law comfortable by planning ahead and lining the walls of her chambers with tapestries to keep them cozier. There's only so much you can do. Edward had very, Eleanor had very different interests from her mother-in-law. While E.P. loved fashion and the Henrician court was a very dressy place, both Edward and Eleanor weren't interested in expensive clothing. The sisters of Provence were well known for their beauty, but no one ever described what Eleanor of Castile looked like. She got the standard, oh, she looks nice, type comments in records, but not much more than that, whereas the sisters of Provence people really went out of their way to talk about how attractive they were. The Castilian envoys that came with Eleanor also stood out at court for their very different style of dress, like wearing Castilian horned hats. Um, definitely look those up. I will try and actually post on the uh, podcast Instagram and find a photo of that to share as well. Eleanor and Edward had been a political match that turned out to be a love match, but the political part of their marriage quickly fell apart, so it was a good thing they had love. The alliance with Castile started unraveling before Eleanor even arrived in England. Between the political tensions, the difference in culture, and also the wariness the English had toward foreigners thanks to E.P.'s many Provençal and Savoyard relatives having gained power over the past few decades, Eleanor's early years in England were tense. Money was a constant struggle for the the couple. Under the provisions of Oxford, all the land that Henry III had granted to Edward was supposed to be restored to the crown, cutting off Edward from his source of funds. When Edward was captured after the Battle of Luz during the Second Baron's War with Simon de Montfort, Eleanor was basically left destitute. Later in life, she would become obsessed with acquiring property, 
which was likely a result of the fact that the couple would have financial difficulties throughout their marriage. She was tired of being poor. She would take any opportunity she could to gain assets, which would hopefully keep them from being poor in the future. They were rich in love, but not in the actual funds, and Eleanor was always trying to find a way to remedy that. The tale of Edward escaping his captors after the Battle of Luz by taking off during a proposed horse race is one of my favorites from this time period, but I was also a big fan of another Edward story. It's 1263, and Edward is in need of money to keep his army loyal. If you can't pay the troops, they're not going to keep fighting for you. Edward goes to the Temple, with a capital T, with Robert Wallerand, a friend of his dad's, and claims he wants to inspect the crown jewels. And these are the literal crown jewels. This is not a euphemism. The knights that ran the temple are like, yeah, sure, you can look at them. You're the prince, no problem. Edward and friends then commit a smash-and-grab heist worth about a thousand pounds at the time. All of these Edward escape slash heist stories are great because they just sound like such a comedy of errors. It's not like Edward sounds particularly smart or schemy in the way he goes about doing things. He just takes advantage of the trust or stupidity of people around him. It's kind of like multiple like, oh, look over there, and then he just runs off with stuff. So love that for him. I'll wrap up talking about their early years of marriage and this episode by talking about their children. Eleanor would end up having possibly up to 16 children, although only six of those children would survive to adulthood. And this is also 16 children, not 16 pregnancies. So it wasn't these. If she had any miscarriages, these are not counted. These are all 16 children that she at least delivered. Eleanor would. Eleanor most likely had her first child when she was around 13 and a half, a daughter who would not survive, likely because Eleanor had been so young when she gave birth. Her mother-in-law, E.P., had also married very young, and the one thing that the two Eleanors would unite on was their ideas about how long Eleanor's daughters should stay in her household. None of Edward and Eleanor's daughters would be sent away to be married before the age of 14, so the two Eleanors learned their lesson and wanted the girls to be a little bit older before they got married, or at least before they had left the household. Her eldest surviving daughter, Eleanor, wouldn't marry until she was 24, although that was partially due to her longtime first betrothed dying before they could marry, so then they had to find her a new husband, so that may have delayed the process a little bit more. Uh, she was the one who married at the oldest age out of the sisters. Their next oldest, Joan, married at 18, Margaret at 15, Mary became a nun. Um, she would go to the abbey that Elmer Provence ended up at. And Elizabeth was also 15 at the time of her first marriage. So other than the first one, Eleanor, I mean, well, 18, 18 is a legal adult. You know, two of them were 15, but at least that's older than 14 or 13. For most of her childbearing years, Eleanor was having about two children every three years. After that early stillborn daughter, Eleanor likely didn't get pregnant again for nine years, making her around 22 or 23. Um, so by then, her body was actually ready for childbearing, and once she started getting pregnant again, she had those remaining 15 kids over the span of 20 years. Again, all of those 15 were babies who were either stillborn, died in infancy, or survived to adulthood. This doesn't count any possible miscarriages. Edward and Eleanor would have five surviving daughters and one surviving son, the future Edward II. That introduces us to Eleanor of Castile, a woman who loved to read, loved her husband, loved running water, 
and was constantly pregnant. In the second part of her story, we'll see ways that she may have influenced Edward's interests in politics and what she was like as a queen. We'll also talk, of course, we'll also, of course, talk about Edward and Eleanor's experience on crusade in more detail, since I just kind of alluded to it when covering Eleanor of Provence. We were, you know, staying in England, so we weren't focusing on them as much. So more on crusade and if Eleanor did suck poison out of Edward's leg, we'll find out. Thank you for listening. Like, subscribe, review, do all the things. Links to our podcast, Instagram, and Patreon are in the episode description. Until next time.